Good. Well, you guys are awake this morning. Amen. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12 if you want to turn there and just be ready. Uh, just a few things to go over. If you're new, we're so glad you came. We'd love to get to know you and maybe answer any questions you have. Um, there's a QR code on the handout that'll help you um, get attached to us or help uh, get information. There's also the Welcome Center out in the lobby. And then uh, just also be aware of things like men's camp out events. You can come and help connect and grow deeper in your faith and, and just understand you're not alone in this journey. Uh, that's part of why we're doing discipleship is to help people connect and grow deeper in their faith. And just uh, one kind of just tidbit before we pray, uh, we try to make the church aware when we have groups of people going out and serving and, and loving or you know doing something uh, significant. And so the high school ministry, they're going to be going out to Winnow Rock, Arizona to serve uh, Native Americans and help a church there. Uh, everything from building to teaching, sharing the gospel. And so they're going to do that from the 9th to the 13th. And so we just want to lift them up in prayer um, that they would be the hands and feet of Jesus, uh, that the, you know, the adults would be able to exercise these words in this passage like patience and prayer and uh, zeal and fervor. It's a long time to drive with kids all the way over there, 14, 17 hours, something like that. So um, you guys can laugh. That's crazy stuff, right? Being with kids that long in a car that aren't your own. So you can't strangle them. You can't hit them, right? All you can do is just pray, right? And so we want to pray for them and love them and just uh, pray that God would get them there safe and do things through them. So uh, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into our text. Uh, God, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you uh, for young people that want to serve you and love you and uh, fulfill what they see in Scripture, to share the gospel with people who don't know it, uh, to strengthen fellow Christians in, in hard places, uh, to remind them of the greatness and the goodness and your glory, uh, to remind them uh, of the call of what it means to be a Christian and to love you. So I pray you'd get them there safe, uh, that they would have a passion for your name, uh, they would stand bold and firm and not shrink back um, from the truths of what they see in Jesus. And so we just pray that you would be with them and as a church that we would continue to support and raise up young people to love you and serve you and uh, be a light in dark places. So we pray for your words and not mine. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're in Romans chapter 12. And last week we walked through Luke 14. And, and kind of the, the idea of this series of discipleship uh, is that they're going to build on each other. And, and part of that building last week was just to have a surrendered life to Jesus. And, and in that Luke 14, you know, it was a hard text. And so um, we got some, some feedback, and that's good. And some of the feedback was, I think people were a little confused. So let me just kind of tie a bow on that as we transition, um, because in here it's going gonna, it's gonna to talk about being a living sacrifice. And so it transitions in verse 12 to this idea of opening up all of your life and saying, whatever you want, Jesus. And so when we walk through that passage of hating father and mother and brother and sister, some of the kids celebrated, right? And some of the people celebrated about mother-in-laws and father-in-laws. And uh, what we tried to emphasize there is that, is that, you know, Jesus would be the highest valued and highest love in all of our life, even at the expense of our own family. Now, here's where the clarity maybe needs to come. As we're not saying you give up on people, that you just simply ignore people. It's that you're going to stand for what Christ stood for. And if that means people leave you, that even though it grieves you, that you, you would be okay with that. He said, rather follow Christ than change him or change the Bible for your affection or your love. 
Okay. An example of that would be, I don't know about you guys, when we have extended family over, there's always some different kind of weird scenarios going on. And one of the things that's clear in our house is that uh, married bedrooms are for married people and only married people get to stay in bedrooms, not dating people. It's a straightforward rule, right? And so some people are okay following that. Some people don't want to come over to our house. It's not that we don't love them. It's not that they're not welcome. It's that in that house, the Bible teaches certain acts are between a man and a woman, and that's what's going to happen in that house. Now, inevitably, what, what, what we're getting at is what you'll see is when you hold the biblical line, that will come in conflict with people's lifestyle choices. And they won't want to be around you because you're choosing to be faithful. And what you're calling, you're calling what they're doing sinful. Typically, people don't like that. And so that could end up costing you the relationship. That doesn't mean you give up on them, you don't pray for them, you don't say, hey, I'm willing to hang out with you, but like if you're married, we're not hanging out with you and your girlfriend. You're married, that's sinful, right? You understand what I'm saying? You're not supporting the behavior. And if that means they don't want to hang out with you because they can't bring their girlfriend even though they're married, then that means they're not going to hang out with you. And you're saying, I'm okay with that even though it hurts, but because I'm upholding what it means to follow Jesus. And that transitions into being a living sacrifice. As you're saying, God, whatever you might take or require, it might be family members, it might be finances, it might be my job, it might be whatever that is, I, I give it to you. So here we go. Romans chapter 12. It, it's important to understand all of what God is asking us. It's hard to understand if, if we don't first take part one. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God present present your bodies if we don't understand that we are god saving us is just a pure act of his mercy it's a it's an overly tall order for jesus to say hate father and mother and follow me the only way he can say that is if he clearly deserves it can fulfill it and it can actually meet the demands it takes to make that statement and so if we view what Christ has done as anything less than mercy, what we say is, okay, I'll be a sacrifice if you do this. I'll go to the ends of the earth or I'll give or I'll sacrifice if you do this. Then it's, it's somehow that God owes us. And what he's saying here is by the sheer mercy, it's a, he's taking away punishment we deserve. Hell is what we deserve. Grace is what we are giving. And if we don't understand that, it's hard then to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. And so the text opens up with present yourself, open hands, and say, God, whatever you would require of me, I would do in response to the great work of Jesus, paying for our sin, being our Savior, doing what we couldn't. And so that's kind of that first piece is, man, do I really view how he saved me as mercy? Because that sets the stage for what follows. So Present yourself as a living sacrifice. The only way, the way that works itself out is through verse two, not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewal or the renewing of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Okay, so this is really important. He's saying that your mind is going to be renewed by what the will of God, what the word of God is, and that you're doing it constantly so that you can be a living sacrifice. So what's the tension? The tension is the world is going to try to conform your heart and your mind 
And essentially, it's going to be what the world has always tried to do since the beginning. Satan always tries to say, there's something better than God. There is a better way. There's a better way to be married. There's a better way to spend your money. There's a better way to be a parent. There's a better way to spend your free time. There is a better way, and it's going to try to form your mind, our mind, to that singular lie, or they would call truth. And so what it's saying is we have to be ready to combat that because to be a loving sacrifice means we'll say, God, take anything you want. I know you're greater. Following you is better than whatever the world can offer me. And so it's being very cognizant of what is the world trying to tell me? How is it trying to capture my attention? How is it trying to capture my affection? And here's the thing. I want you to catch this. You know, I get maybe accused a little bit of being anti-emotional because I only have like one or two emotions, but that's not what we're trying to get at. First service laugh. You can laugh, right? I get it. I come off very non-emotional, but that's, that's not what we're getting at here in the sense that it's bad. Is that you want to have biblically formed emotions and biblically formed emotions come through thinking through what God has said. That's why this passage is very specific. It says, renew your mind, right? Verse three, think with a sober judgment. You get down later on, it says, don't think more highly of yourself, but think with sober judgment. And, and so you keep, don't be wise in your own sight or like in your own thinking. That our thoughts need to come from the Bible and need to shape our emotions. So that when we're interacting with the world, our mind is able to synthesize, okay, that's, that's a lie, that's of the devil, that's false, this is what the Bible says, and then we make a reaction according to the scripture, according to what God has said. And so it helps us understand these things. So then when you take biblically formed emotion, it's beautiful because it's acting inconsistent what's good, acceptable, and perfect, verse two, of what God has set aside. Now, I get it. Usually when we talk about the Bible, people get really, really like sometimes bored. Like it's so boring. I don't know what to do. It's really long. I can't read it. Well, you have to start somewhere. My recommendation, whether you have to start just reading a proverb, you know, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Book of John doesn't have uh, parables, something bite-sized so that you're storing these pieces in your mind, giving yourself tools, giving yourself the ability to see what God is saying in a certain moment, in a particular area. And here's what another part I want to kind of maybe uh, protect ourselves with, is I get it. We typically like to hear the word of God from other people. And I don't want to demonize podcasts and books and videos and DVDs and YouTube and all of that. But here's what I will say it is don't trust them. Trust if what they're saying matches from the word of God. And if you're going to celebrate what is said, celebrate what's said that is in agreement with the Bible. There's a difference there, right? Okay. And so I think what happens is we get attached emotionally specifically to people, to faces, to images, to auras, and we get excited and we take it as gospel. Only it's not gospel and it's not biblical and it fails and it lets us down and it cheats us. It distracts us. It conforms us to things not of the Bible, not of what God would have. It's not good, acceptable, and perfect. So we're always running it through the grid of, well, does that agree with Scripture? Even when you come here, you're like, I don't know if I see that in the Bible. And, or ask the pastor, hey, where is that in the text? 
Okay, because we want biblically formed mind and emotions coming together so that we can be a living sacrifice. We can do what's asked in verses 3 through 8 and 9 through 21. It's a lot of it's mass, if, if you think through it, is how much input are you taking from the world and then how much of what God says are you putting in. And when you weigh the two, God's word can get drowned out. And we can begin to see the world through their view of justice, their view of anger, their view of happiness, their view of marriage, their view of uh, vengeance. And so the goal is that the word of God would be uh, stored up in our hearts. So when we get to these big moments, we're actually able to execute what God would ask us and require us. Uh, Here's a small example, kind of funny, but just think through it. You ever notice kids' sports brings out the worst in people, like especially the adults? Right? And so, you know, I'm not immune to that either. So um, I was coaching my son's soccer team. And, you know, I don't know why I was. I don't know anything about soccer. I have no business coaching soccer, right? But I was available, right, and warm and living. And so I'm, like, focused in on coaching. And somehow, I guess, my son's really aggressive. Or when he was little, he was really aggressive. Kind of gets it from his mom, right? And so she's um, on the sideline. And I guess some guy does not like that my son's being physical and like I'm like locked in because it's so important right lives are depending on this and I lose the fact that like he's I guess yelling at her and saying mean things to her so she comes to me and she tells me that this guy's being really mean to her so now my first reaction I feel my body stiffen and clench and I don't know what I'm thinking I'm not like scary or anything like what am I gonna do right but that's my natural reaction right so I start walking over there and all of a sudden I hear you're a child of God ambassador of Christ you know you know I'm like oh but I don't want to be right like not right now and it's so I see them hey that's my kid that's my wife if you have a problem with that kid talk to me not her please and I walked away I was like oh wow right I sinned once not twice once was in my mind twice would have been executing was in my mind but I'm so grateful the word of God was there to kind of synthesize that can you imagine headlines, pastor gets in fight at kid's soccer game, right? Like, that's a bad look, isn't it? Like, that's not good. And here's the thing, it's not good for the Christian either, not just the pastor. And it's God's word that needs to be there in those deep, deep moments that grounds us, that helps us sin once, not twice, right? Because we're going to have the visceral emotion. And so much of that too is we were programmed that, that this is what it should happen. This is how you should be treated. This is what you should do. And what we need is God's word in there to renew the mind, to not be conformed to the world and act like the world. Because that guy needed to be told to leave my wife alone. But it didn't need to be belligerent, violent, or vile. And praise God that his word was there to kind of help shape that where it could have been a lot worse. So those moments happen often in our life. And you got to think we've been in a very charged two years. And things are just flying out because we're, we're getting our view of justice, our view of anger, our view of uh, what is right, our view of how things ought to be through the world and, and not through Christ, not through his word. Yeah, you see this in, in John 10, 25 through 28. It says, Jesus answered them, I told you, and, I do not, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them 
and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He says, my sheep know my voice. Where do they hear his voice? Through the word of God. That is the primary function of how God communicates to us is through the Bible. And people try to abuse this. And again, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but just you, we need to be cognizant of the abuse that exists when people say, I have a word from the Lord. Okay? Because they're saying this is on par with Scripture. This is God speaking. God does not disagree with his word. And when you would say that in the Old Testament, you have a word from the Lord. If you were wrong, they stoned you. The violent kind, right? They would stone you. And so you think through that. Those are big words. So if we're thinking through that, maybe if you hear that, soften that phrase to baby, hey, I've been praying and I think and I'm, I'm, this might be what God is saying because we're taking into account that we could be you know, sinful or selfish. You know how many women have wedded men because that guy said God said so? We don't want to be abusive in that. And the easiest thing to do is that God's word communicates and tells us so that we know what is good, acceptable, and perfect. The problem is we just don't like that answer. I don't want to read my Bible. I, don't, I want to do this. I want to do that. And you get these weird, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but like it's just it's important to talk about. Like people using the phrases, and it's people, it's multiple people. The Bible whispers or the Bible shouts. And so we take certain pieces and, oh, that scripture applies, but this doesn't. Here's the thing. Two plus two is four. doesn't matter if you whisper it or you yell it. It's four. Right? Can I say that here? It's four. There's no whispering. There's no yelling. The nature of absolute truth is it's absolute. It's not quietly absolute or loudly absolute. It's absolute. And it's there and it builds. So if the Bible says it, it says it. Plainly, clearly, it's there. And it's to be used and stood upon. When you get to louder and softer types of scripture, you're getting to more and less inspired. It either is inspired or it isn't. It either is for or it's not. It's not kind of for. Does that make sense? So, so, so when the sheep hear my voice, God's word is that voice and it tells us and it's clear. Okay? Let's take some supporting passages. I want you to see this. Psalm 119, 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. One of the primary ways God tries to help us not sin is through his word. The Holy Spirit brings the word to reminder to help us in those situations. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It guides us. It shows us where to go. It shows us what's good, acceptable, and perfect and how to discern. Verse 2, right? Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Okay? It acts as a grid to show us. How should we think about marriage, parenting, finances, being an employee, being a citizen, how you should handle your money, how you should handle your friendships, and saying the world will want to change that, conform you. But no, renew it through the word of God. Over and over and over again, it's constantly guiding you and shaping you so that you can have a, verse 3, sober judgment. 
that we would react biblically, faithfully, the way Christ would have us. He's saying, Christian, this is so important that the word of God be what guides you and helps you. Now, he transitions because he's saying you need to take this and again, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, verse three, think soberly. And now, verse five, six, seven, eight, serve one another. Here's how you're gonna help each other out. And you're to help each other out through a biblical lens. You're to help each other out in a certain way. He's saying, I've equipped you to help you and help others help you. Everybody needs help and everyone's going to need help being transformed by the word of God. There's going to be times when we're confused. There's going to be times when we're angry. There's going to be times when we just don't feel like listening. So he's like, look, you're of one body and you all have gifts and they differ and that's been grace, but here's how you use them. Prophecy, we're in verse six now, right? Let's use that through the idea that prophets spoke the word of God, right? So then the word of God wasn't finished. So if we take that in its fullness to speak, the word of God is to be prophetic. If you speak scripture, some people are really good at that. You're like, I just don't know what to do. They're like, bam, Proverbs, Psalms, you know, Jesus said this, right? That's what God would tell you. So that's a gift. And we need to help people with that. Here's what's great about verse seven. You're like, oh, I need to take a spiritual gifts test. No, you don't. Because everyone can, verse 7, serve. Right? Everyone can serve. You don't need to be confused about this. Saying if you're being a living sacrifice, you're saying, God, whatever you want, you're shaped by the word of God. It means you're saying, Christ died for me. I will help in any way I can as a response. So that might be financially helping, spiritually helping. That might be moving tables. That might be going on a mission trip, whatever. I'm here to serve. It's saying you can do that. Some people should teach. Not everyone should teach, right? I know some of you are thinking I shouldn't teach. You know, that's, that's fine. But you're saying some people, they're, they're to teach, to help. Say, this is what the Bible says. Let's look at it together. I'm going to help you. You know, you're a husband and you don't know how to lead your family. I want to teach you that. I want to share that with you. I want to serve you. You're a mom. You just had a baby. You don't know what it's like to be a Christian mom because it's new. I want to help you with that. I want to teach you that. Sunday school. There's all these things. So you start whittling this down discipleship is is all throughout this because it's saying christians you need to help each other out in these ways get one-on-one and help each other be a living sacrifice not be conformed by the world keep your mind renewed by the word of god so that you're doing the will of god what is good acceptable and perfect so keep working our way through this one who exhorts this is a lost art right it's encouragement but it's also like a nudge. Like, hey, keep going. Stay faithful. Don't stop. Older people love to do that. And this text gives you that permission. You see a young parent here with their kids and their hair's on fire and they look beat up. Keep going, young parents. It's worth it. I've raised kids. You're going to look back and be glad you fought the fight to bring them here, even though they threatened to kill you and leave the family and said you're a bad parent, right? All the things you get Sunday morning. An exhortation is, hey, keep going, parent. It is worth it. Stay faithful in your marriage. Be faithful in your finances. You know, whatever that looks like, you're saying Christians need to do this. That's how we don't get conformed to the world. It takes another Christian reminding you, hey, no, Jesus is better. Don't be conformed to the world. The world doesn't have a better way to parent, a better way to live, a better way to be happy, a better way to view sexuality, a better way to view marriage. None of these things. Jesus is absolutely better. 
He's worth giving up everything for. Here's an exhortation. It's the one who is generous, one who leads, leads with zeal, and then acts of mercy and with cheerfulness. So it's saying, look, this is how we help each other out. The Bible commands us to help each other. But part of this, it's so important, is that we realize we all need help. We all do. And that help needs to be Christ-directed through his word. That we're all a living sacrifice saying, God, whatever you are showing me from here, I need to do it. And people are here to help me. Now, here's what's interesting we have to understand. Is you can't exercise these gifts if you don't come to church. Like, Like, you have to understand. You have to get annoyed and upset so that you can be patient, that you can be kind, you can show mercy, you can forgive, and you can bless those who persecute you, right? If you just stay at home and never meet other Christians, they can't get you mad, so then you can't exercise the thing Christ tells us to. He didn't like to hear that. That's true though, right? Part of it, you're going to come to church, you're going to hurt your feelings, they're going to be mean. And he's saying, you know what? You're a living sacrifice. You need to. Now let's work through these other parts that you've been renewed your mind. You're, you're serving your church. Now you need to have brotherly affection, right? You need to outdo one another in showing honor. Notice these imperatives have adjectives. They're very powerful. You need to do this for each other, Christian. Why? Because being conformed by the world is going to be very tempting and confusing and saying we need Christians in each other's lives, giving brotherly affection, teaching, encouraging, giving each other honor. Now look at this. This is the third part in serving the Lord. It's part of our maturity. As we're serving each other, it's going to create in us. Now this is huge. Do not be slothful in zeal. And I got to be honest with this. You know, there's a lot of apathy in Christianity right now. And there just shouldn't be. Hear this. I'm not saying if what you're going through is hard, that it should be easy, that your emotions don't matter, that um, you're immature if you have, you know, hard feelings. But what it's saying is you always have a reason to rejoice, and it's because of Jesus. No one can take Christ from you. That was the John 10 passage. You can never be snatched from his hand. You are always his Therefore, you always have at least one reason to have zeal. Christ paid for you. He paid for you. And that outweighs all the bad things. All of them. That's why last week we talked, Paul said, I consider everything rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. So it's in Christians, we shouldn't be known for our apathy. We should be known for our zeal. Do not neglect zeal for the Lord. Right? These are adjectives and imperatives. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Saying we can be broken, but yet rejoicing that I serve Christ. I am his living sacrifice. It is my joy. Keep working your way through this. Right? Rejoice in hope. So saying no matter how dark it gets, there's Hope. This is why Paul never says he likes getting beat and bitten by snakes and thrown in prison. But how does he act when he's in prison? He sings hymns. He rejoices. He praises the Lord. Because he knows they can take all these earthly things, but they can't take Jesus. And one day he'll be in heaven and he rejoices over that. 
Be patient in tribulation. It's saying, God, if you have me in this turmoil, I trust you. You have me in hard circumstances. And you're like Paul, and you've pleaded three times, Lord, take it, Lord, take it, Lord, take it. He says no. And what does Paul pray? Your power made perfect in my weakness. Right? Because Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. So you're patient. And it takes other Christians exhorting you, saying, hey, stay faithful. Stay faithful. The world is watching. They don't need angry, bitter Christians on a mission to enact their own view of justice, freaked out about what the health department, the schools, the states, the, the U.S. government is doing, isn't doing. He's saying, be patient in that tribulation. And here's the next part. Be constant in prayer. So we're constantly going to the Lord, saying, God, here's my emotions. Here's my fears. Help my mind submit to your lordship. Submit to what you've called me to. Submit to your word. Help me be faithful. Help me be patient in tribulation. And you keep working this through. 13, you contribute to the needs of the saints. Those are Christians and you show hospitality. Why? Because if you're a Christian, you have the unique privilege and ability to say, Christ died for me. He paid for me. Heaven is my home. Nothing can change that. Therefore, I'm open, living sacrifice, to invite people in and encourage them in the Lord. Help them be faithful. Help them in their marriage. Help them in their parenting. Help them in their finances. Whatever it is, come inside to my house. Let me point you to the scriptures faithfully. Well, your life isn't easy. Why are you willing to do this? Because I know Romans 8, nothing can separate me from the love of God. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He's with me. Let me share with you how Christ has had victory in my life over addiction and parenting and marriage and finance, losing a job, a brother or sister, whatever that is. The Christian has the ability to hospitably encourage another Christian in the Lord and help them grow in their faith. Now think through this. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Those are emotions, but biblically formed emotions. What do we rejoice about? We rejoice when the prodigal comes home, right? When the son who walked away comes back and repents, we rejoice. When we see God's answered prayer, we rejoice. Why is this important? Because sometimes you get this feeling that nothing in my life is going well and God's not there. It happens to us. And when you're able to sit with someone and they're like, oh, but God answered this prayer. It's saying that we're not so focused on We could rejoice. And that's important for us to see God is doing and moving and working and redeeming and loving and saving. And he's showing mercy and giving grace in all these ways. And if we're not participating in each other's lives, it's really easy to think God's just not doing anything. He doesn't care. It's like, no, he's always doing something. We need to rejoice. And it's important sometimes when you're seeing God just do great things, someone's losing from their perspective and they're weeping. You could weep with them and say, I care about your pain. I care about what you're going through. But I want to exhort you the goodness and the greatness of Jesus, what he's done, what you have access to, what you have the ability to do. Now, this next one, 16, this is huge. Live in harmony with one another. Okay, Christians, we cannot let politics divide us. You ever read The Art of War? How do you lose a war? You get eaten from both sides. We have the world trying to conform. We can't have Christians coming around the end beating each other with things that aren't even in the Bible. 
There has to be a harmony that says Christ is bigger than whatever politician or politic I follow or go along with. The Christians are able to say, I'm a living sacrifice, renewed in my mind that Christ is whom I serve. I'll give up anything. I'm in harmony with these brothers and sisters. What we agree about far outweighs what we disagree about. You think that's important? All four of us are going for this, all right? We're going to try to live in harmony. And the main way we do that is to not be haughty. See, that's the beginning of the downfalls when we think we know better. Because when we think we know better, it's usually because we're not going to the Bible because we think we already know. Instead of going to God's word and saying, what does he say about the government? What does he say about parenting? What does he say about marriage? What does he say about sexuality? What does he say about marriage? What does he say about drugs? What does he say about, what does the Bible say? Like, no, 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 I already know. I don't need to look. Then we're not in harmony. We fight because we think we know. And then we don't associate with other people because we think we're better than them. Because we have a certain political position. We have a certain social position. We have a certain social group. Whatever that is, it's, I'm better than you. You say, no, no, no. We need to be willing to help everyone. Everyone, even the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. It bookends with that idea to not think more highly of yourself and not be wise in our own sight. How do we do that? We're constantly renewing our minds with the word of God. So then you play this passage out. How does it work? It starts with seeing the mercy of God. Then saying, hey, I'm a living sacrifice, whatever you would want. Renewing our mind each day in the word of God then going out serving each other. Then that last part allows us to have this type of service to the Lord of maturity, where we're patient, we're fervent, we rejoice, we're at harmony, we praise the Lord. It helps us come to that full circle because we're doing it with each other. Everyone's helping everyone be transformed to the image of Jesus, to do the will of God, what is acceptable, good, and perfect. Okay, so some questions we can ask ourselves. How are you currently renewing your mind? Okay. Where is the Bible intersecting into your mind? And again, if the, that sounds overwhelming to you, start so small. One proverb, one psalm, whatever, one thing. Think it through, think it through. Give yourself at least a little bit of meat that helps you in a hard moment. And then expand, grow from, you know, five minutes to 10 minutes, 10 minutes to 15 minutes, 15 minutes to 30, and have accountability. Weigh out what's going into your mind. It's basic math, right? Input, output. How much news, social media are you getting? How much Bible are you getting? If you're listening to people about the Bible, are you weighing it and making sure it comes from the Bible? And then when you're encouraged by it, do you give the Bible credit? Do you have Christ credit? Or do you give that person credit? So many more people would think the Bible was affected if we quoted the Bible instead of people. Something to think about. Okay. What do you think Christians, why do you think Christians struggle with Bible reading and prayer? And how can you consistently bring your mind and emotions before God? I, I think part of it is people think the Bible doesn't work and they think the Bible's boring. And if you're going to be a Christian, the living sacrifice, you're to be renewed by his word, right? John 1, he is the word. He was the word. He is the truth. And that we draw simply from him. 
and to work through that hard part of kind of getting off the ground to where we're in a rhythm of, okay, God, this is what I feel. This is what your word says. And then allowing our mind to shape our emotions so that we have biblically informed emotions, right? Three, how are you currently serving others? How often do you help those in need at church? This passage is very clear. The church is designed to help each other, whether that's spiritually grow, financially, whatever it is, we're to be there. And part of our spiritual service is making ourselves available. And everyone has something to offer. How Christ has shown victory in your life, redemption, forgiveness, guided you. There's someone who's not where you are that you can share that with and help with and being ready to do that. Uh, four, is there anyone you need to forgive and let God deal with instead of you? You know, you walk through this passage later on in 12, it says, be at peace with all people so far it depends upon you. If it depends on you, have you offered forgiveness to be at peace? Or are you holding on something? It's hard to have the Lord transform your mind when you're still trying to take his place as judge and jury. So that's why it's so important that we're letting God be the judge, having sober judgment. Verse three, right? Do you have sober judgment? We're on five. That is in accordance with God's word. What part of your judgment needs to change? Is there a part of you that's viewing life through your lens, through the news's lens, social media's lens, your you know, friend's lens, instead of, does the Bible say it that way? Does the Bible treat the government, treat the teacher, treat the husband, treat the wife, treat the individual that way? What does the Bible say about that? And if your judgment isn't sober, ask God to bring sobriety through his word into your life. Six, how do you at times conform to the world and how can you safeguard against it in the future? Everybody's tempted somewhere to jump on the train and go, that looks like a better way. And it's being aware of, but the Bible says, no, and I trust him. I want to be a living sacrifice that's constantly renewed in his mind so that he can be a full service whenever God would ask. Hands open, take me. It takes a renewed mind to get that and to be that. And that's where we all want to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you and we praise you. And we're thankful that your word's so clear and so pure. And it's our prayer uh, that we would just meditate on it, that it would be how we interpret everything, our family relationships, our work relationships, our purpose in life, our uh, way we treat our enemies, the way we treat other Christians. All things would be driven through your word. It'd be the lamp into our feet. That is our great prayer. Uh, in your son's name we pray. Amen. So as we uh, transition to a time of communion, you know, one of the, the great things you can do is to let uh, God's word drive your communion, right? Because in communion, we have this symbolic act of Christ's work on the cross, his paying for our sins. So that brings up two things. It's the confession of sin and the celebration of that forgiveness, the celebration of that victory. And so what any passage should do is it should point some things out. Maybe we're saying, God, I'm missing the mark. That's sinning, right? I'm not doing that. And I need you to forgive me of that. I need to repent. That's one of the primary ways that we transform our minds is through acknowledging what is bad and telling the Lord to forgive us and help us do what is good, acceptable, and pleasing. So as you look through this passage, just think through, man, do I lack zeal? Do I lack fervor? 
Do I lack patience? Do I lack hospitality? Am I haughty? Am I not in harmony? Am I not renewing my mind? Am I not serving my brother or sister? Do I not have brotherly affection? And ask that God would forgive you of those things. You are. It says if we confess our sin, he's faithful. And so communion is about taking God's writing and measuring ourselves against it and saying, this is how I've sinned against you. But then remembering that sin is paid for. It was paid for Jesus on the cross. And we can celebrate and be grateful that we're forgiven and he loves us and he knew we would sin and still died for us, still paid for us. He's still with us. He still walks with us. And we get to celebrate that gift. Uh, You see this imagery come out in Matthew 26. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. 27, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, right? The new covenant, once for all payment, sins are paid for, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. And so it's our opportunity to do that. So communion is for Christians who are putting their trust that Christ paid for their sin, that his body was broken on their behalf. and He was raised from the dead, signaling victory over sin and death. And so we invite you to do that during this time. Um, the communion cups, just quick tip. You get the bread first, which by the way is gluten-free. You didn't know that? Um, if you don't do bread first, what happens is you do juice, then you do bread, then the juice spills on you. And then you're like, wait, do I go get another communion cup? Do I run? Do I stay? Can I drink my spouse's? Is that wrong? Right? So everybody just go bread first, then juice as you've walked through confession and celebration. And then at the end of that time, uh, John's going to lead us in an opportunity to just celebrate what Christ did, celebrate and rejoice together uh, to strengthen and encourage us that he is faithful and he loved us and he paid for us and he died for us. And we want to thank him for that through song, through words that are biblically formed that help us uh, love Jesus. Let's pray. God, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you for this opportunity uh, to remember what you did on the cross. So it's our prayer we would dig deep into our uh, hearts and minds and think of the ways we need to repent and change and ask you to bring change in our life and help us to trust you and that we would celebrate and be grateful for the payment of sin and we would just leave in awe and in love and grateful for what you've done and what you've been for us so we love you and we thank you in jesus name we pray amen